So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. If you're on a device this morning, you want to go with the ESV version so you can track with us. I want to turn to John chapter 1. Going to be doing verses 19 through 34 this morning. John 1, verse 19. And this is what the word says. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. What we see here today coming off of the last two weeks as we're just launching into the Gospel of John, where John has made a pretty big deal about telling us who Jesus is and all of his majesty and all of his grandeur, everything that we think we might want to know about Jesus actually is contained in these first 18 verses that have been revealed to us through the Apostle John in this book that we are reading and that we are studying over the next, I don't know, year or so, right? It's going to take us some time to get through John. But John does a really incredible job of exposing us to the person of Jesus Christ, the one who came as a sacrifice, as a lamb to be slaughtered. And as we get into these verses, what we do is we see the Apostle John shifting from himself, really, to another John, John the Baptist, who then bears witness to who Jesus actually was. So what we've been talking about these last couple of weeks is really the, the identity of Jesus, who is Jesus? And by the way, that, that is just constantly being thrown in our face in some ways. I mean, really, firstly, by, by just the, the doubt and some of the unbelief that we carry in our own hearts. And do we believe in the person that, uh, of Jesus that Scripture makes reference to, that Scripture is constantly putting front and center, really, through all of the pages and all of the words and all of the dots and all of the, the periods? 
Scripture is making known to us who the person of Jesus Christ is. And we step back and we go, I I read that, but do I believe that? I I think I understand that, but am I getting it? And so John has been exposing that to us. And now we see John the Baptist come on the scene. And what he's doing is he's bearing witness to what John just said about who Jesus is. And so that's what we're we're going to be looking into this morning is what it looks like to bear witness. And by the way, what does that even mean? What does it mean to bear witness to something? Well, it means to give evidence or proof that something exists. And so we look at our own lives and we think, well, who or what does, does my life bear witness to? What does it give evidence or proof of? You know, the Queen of England died a few weeks back. Maybe it's been more than that now. Um, but after the Queen died, all the comments that you read that came from the news her family, I mean, it was people all over the world. Um, What they were doing was they were bearing witness to who she was. They were bearing witness to what she did of the things that she spoke about, what she valued. They're bearing witness to the kinds of things that she she worked so hard uh, to communicate that were close to her heart that she believed. If you followed the life of the queen, you would have just been a witness to whatever her her messaging was. In other words, you would have been locked in. You would have known what the queen was all about. And so John the Apostle is doing this. He's writing about John the Baptist's messaging concerning Jesus Christ's arrival, which, by the way, began even before John was born. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 1. Let's learn a little bit about who this character John the Baptist is. Because by the way, this dude is a character. Um, He's like nobody else that we see in scripture. So when we turn back to Luke chapter 1 verse 13, um, here's what some of the things, uh, here's a few things that we are told about this person, John the Baptist, and a little bit of the story of of what his mission was and why he was born and and what was told to his father who was a priest about what it was that he was going to be doing in regards to Jesus Christ. Pick up in verse 13, an angel had visited Zechariah, John's dad, and said, hey, here's what's gonna happen. Here's the kid that's gonna be born uh, to you and your wife. And the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer's been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is going to bury you a son. You'll call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And then jump ahead with me to verse 76, and it says this, gives us a little more of a clue about his trajectory. And 76 says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. This was a prophecy from Zechariah about his son. And he says, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people of the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus said in Matthew 11, he said, talking about John the Baptist, he made this comment about John. He said, among those born of women, 
there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. I don't know, that sounds like a bit of an ego boost to me. When Jesus says, by the way, out of all the people born besides me, you're number one. I don't know what that would do to me. Um, That might do some not great things to my heart, right? Hearing that said about me. If you are a Christian, if you are somebody who has been saved by the grace and mercy of God, you are one person among many who bears witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ. But what we're told here is that John the Baptist comes before all of us as the one who was called uniquely to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus. So that's just a little background of this guy that comes on the scene, John the Baptist, that we read a lot about as we go through the the four Gospels, and we get just a greater understanding of what was it that he was sort of birthed onto the scene to accomplish. And that's what it was to prepare the way for Jesus, to bear witness to the truth of who Jesus was. And then that just caused us to ask that question about ourselves this morning, which is, what does it mean to bear witness about Jesus? What does that mean for us? Well, John the Baptist's witness includes two elements. That's what we're going to cover this morning. The first one is John the Baptist was being very clear as we look at verses 19 through 28 that he was not Jesus. Now, John the Baptist, if you read a little bit of his life and through the other gospels, this was a brother who was making waves, right? He was causing a commotion He dressed weird. He wore camel's hair. He wore a leather belt. He had a weird diet. Said he ate locusts and honey. I guess that would make him like the world's first vegan. I don't know. Um, Man, he was someone who had no intention of conforming to societal norms. Right? So you'd see this guy. He was an outlier. I mean, if you even notice that he was there, he sounds like the kind of guy that you'd sort of back away from a little bit and go, I don't know. I don't know about this, right? And what I love about that, even from, even from the outset, what I love about that was of all the people Jesus could have used, right? It was this guy. It was this guy. Which, by the way, tells you something about the company that Jesus keeps, doesn't it? Man, we are so jacked up about that. Like, we back up and we're judging people by what they wear, by, by, you know, the kind of clothing they put on, by the kind of position they have, by the kind of career that they've built, by the kind of automobile they drive, where they live, how they live. We stack up all of these things. And Jesus chose that guy to say, out of all y'all that's been born, he's number one. Right? It's anybody that we would look at and go, that's impossible. And yet, remember the story of Samuel when God sends him to choose Israel's next king after Saul. And he goes before Jesse, this man who had all these sons, and he sees all just these, just these epic-looking dudes, right, who just had everything together. They were handsome, right? They looked like they could be the next king until David walks into the scene, who was the last born of all the sons, didn't give him any thought until God said, that's my guy. And he said, and by the way, Sam... Just so you know, I look at different things than you look at. I look at the heart. And we see that here with God choosing John to be this prophetic voice to announce the arrival of Jesus. We look at the wrong things. 
Jesus looks at the right things. And that just sobers us a little bit, right? As we step back and we sort of look at the things that we value or the things that we put value on, that we believe are important, that we believe tell us something about a somebody. Sometimes we're right. Many times we're wrong. And I like that. I like that reminder because I do that. I do that. And if you're somebody out there, if you walk into this warehouse and just feel like, Man, I don't know. Man, y'all are so middle class here. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't feel like I got a place here. It's like, you got a place here. Why? Because we look middle class? No, because Jesus looks at something differently than even all of us look at. So stick it out. Stick it out with us. Because it's not so important what we think. It's important that you've been approved by God. And that was John the Baptist. That was this guy right here. So what happens here is the Jewish leaders, they're wondering what's going on because they hear about this guy that's causing all this commotion and they send their representatives in to ask John the Baptist, who are you? They want to know if he was the Christ, the promised Messiah. This happened to me one time. I mean, nobody ever asked me if I was the promised Christ. I should probably make that clear. (laughs) That was a really poor transition. Let me start over again. Nobody's ever wondered that. That should be a great thing to all y'all. But I remember there was this, this one time a few years, man, it's hard to recover from that. Um, it's been a long day already. But this happened to me a few years ago, kinda, right? Uh, I was in this group of pastors from around the country and um, I had no business sitting in, in this group of, of, of men, but I was. And, uh, and someone asked me a question about something that I didn't really know about, but I, they asked me, so I had to... I had to start just talking like I knew what I was talking about. And, um, uh, and, and about halfway through my answer, I heard one of the, one of the well, more well-known leaders who really should have been talking about this on the other side of the table lean over and whisper, not very quietly, into the ear of another guy. And he said this, and I quote, who is this guy? Um, I could have humbled myself, but I didn't. I didn't, in that, I didn't in that moment. John, on the other hand, what does he do here? He doesn't waste a minute. He confessed and he didn't deny that he was not the Christ. It's pretty remarkable when you think about the amount of like Facebook followers and like Twitter likes this dude had at this point in his career. So they double down. They say, well, okay, are you Elijah? Back from the dead? Are, are you the prophet that scripture has spoken of that's going to come on the scene? Really speaking of, of Christ, John's basically like, that's a hard nope. I'm not that guy. And then he quotes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah to tell them exactly who he was, exactly what God called him to do. In verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as Isaiah had said. What John the Baptist was, was the culmination of all of these Old Testament prophets that we read about from Genesis to Malachi, except now the message was, was a little different. It was, it was a little more razor focused. The message that John the Baptist was proclaiming about Jesus, it was finally coming to pass. The Savior had arrived. And, and, and he continues to provide clarity by saying, look, I baptize 
with water. Like, I'm a dude that's going to bring you into the Jordan River, and I'm going to dunk you down into this muddy water. I'm going to pull you back out. I'm calling people to repent of their sins so that when the one greater than me comes, they are prepared to be forgiven of their sins. But, but it's like John is saying, make no mistake, I'm not that guy. I don't have that power. I'm just here to proclaim. I'm here to baptize. I'm here to point. Not to myself, but to the one who takes away the sins of the world. And in fact, he doubles down on that, which is what I love about John here. This really raw dude, he really wants to make sure that the people know he's not the Christ. And he says, the one you're asking about, by the way, not only is it not me, but it's someone whose sandals I'm unworthy to tie. Like, understand the separation that exists between me and the Christ, lest you put me on a pedestal that I am not meant to be on, right? That's a statement for us. John is saying, not only am I not the Christ, I don't even have enough status to be considered his hired servant, somebody that would have untied and tied his sandals. Man, What's interesting is that it would have been easy to assume that John the Baptist was the Christ if you were looking at what he was doing, looking at the followers that he was amassing. So John clarifies with just that, it's a mic drop of a reply. I am not the Christ. I mean, that's not a logo you see on a lot of Christian t-shirts, right? It probably should, maybe we need to do that. Substance Church, I am not the Christ on the back. But identity is kind of a big deal when it comes to bearing witness to Jesus as Savior of the world. And when you think about John the Baptist's influence, he might have been tempted to prop himself up, say, actually, well, I mean, I'm pretty close to the Christ. I mean, have you seen the following I have? Have you seen the, amount, have you seen the lines, you know, that, that, have you seen the lines that are backed up when I announce a baptism service? That does something to a person. But instead he humbled himself. He knew who he was. He knew his place. John the Baptist said in in chapter 3, we're going to get there probably weeks from now. He said in 329, he said, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. He's talking about himself in that sense. I'm not rejoicing over myself. I'm rejoicing at the one who is coming, the one who is speaking words of life. And then he says, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And then he says this, he must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He was making a distinction between himself and Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, there's a distinction there. There's a distinction. He needed the people, he needed these Jewish leaders to understand who he was not so that he could amplify who Jesus was. There are more things in your life than you can possibly fathom that are trying to increase their influence over you right? 
And what they are actually saying to you is, I am the Christ. I am the Christ. How do we locate what those things are? Well, sometimes it's hard, right? Because those things, those things that become Christ to us, they, they, they sometimes get so intermingled in our life that we're fooled into thinking they are what they aren't. But the way to locate that is that it's anything or it's anybody that offers to be what only Christ can possibly be. In fact, it's false advertising is what it is. These things in our life that we create, these idols, these people, these things, they come to us advertising something that they're not. John the Baptist was saying, I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. Red Bull, if you guys drink Red Bull, um, they had to pay $13 million in a class action lawsuit because the tagline, Red Bull gives wings, proved to be false. It all started when there was this one Red Bull drinker who said he drank Red Bulls for 10 years and never developed wings or anything else that improved his intellectual or physical abilities. So we're finally some truth about Red Bull, right? Anything that attempts to offer you what only Jesus can provide you is what? It's false advertising. John the Baptist made it clear that he was not the Christ so that he could bear witness to the majesty, the grandeur, the beauty, everything that was Jesus in his coming to us. John wasn't about to take anything away from that. That's part of what it means to bear witness. The second thing of John the Baptist's witness was making known who Jesus was. It's not enough just to say who Jesus is not. It's not enough just to go over and over again and say, well, I'm not him, I'm not him. We also got to talk about who Jesus is, right? John announces Jesus as the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. It was a radical statement. It's a statement that the culture back then would have been clued into a little bit about what he was talking about. Remember, John was the son of a priest named Zechariah. And this brother growing up would have been familiar with the sacrifice of lambs as part of the duties of a Jewish priest. He would have been familiar with where this sacrifice originated, which was from the, this thing called the Passover in Egypt. Well, what was the, the Passover? Well, the Passover was that moment when Jesus was delivering the Jewish people from slavery and Egypt. And it came down to this final day, this final plague that he had set over the Egyptians that said, I am going to take your firstborn son. And he said, and this is across the board. So the Jewish people, whether you were Jewish, the Egyptian people, whatever race you were within that particular region was going to happen, you, happen to you unless you did what God commanded to do. So to be spared from God's wrath, to be spared from your firstborn being taken from you, a lamb had to be sacrificed. And its blood had to be put on the doorpost so that God would pass you over and spare you from death. Now that sacrifice was a shadow of what Jesus would come and do thousands of years later. That's why John uses the phrase, behold 
comes the lamb to take away the sins of the world. What had to happen to a lamb in order to atone for sins? Lamb had to be slaughtered. In Isaiah 53, it tells us something about Jesus prophetically when it says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Then it said, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This language to us would have been familiar to the people that John was speaking to. He's saying the Passover explains what God always intended to do, which is to send Jesus as the lamb to be slaughtered for the sin of the world. Man, Christianity is a bloody business. It's a bloody business. It's not neat. It's not tidy. This book is not neat and tidy for us. Why? Because we're not neat and tidy. Regardless of what we think about ourselves, regardless of how we judge other people based on what they present to us in their lives, there's no neatness. There's no tidiness. Jesus came in to be a bloody sacrifice because we have bloody lives. That sounds like a British phrase right there. I didn't mean it that way. But that's... But that tells us something about what was necessary for us to finally have peace with God. We were in Hocking Hills a couple days ago. And we have some friends that are building this crazy cabin. And they're, they're doing it on the side of a hill. And so you, you, it, 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 it used to be this cave that was kind of dug out the side of the hill. And now they've turned that into like an Airbnb thing. And they showed us what they were doing. And, um, but gosh, it looks crazy right now. Right, there's scaffolding everywhere. There's cans of paint everywhere. I mean, you can kind of get a sense of what it is, but it just looks like chaos right now. Why? Well, because they're, they're building something for the purpose of creating a, a beautiful space, beautiful shelter for people to enjoy. And Christianity is something that if we step back and we, we really focus on the words of Scripture, if we really look at what Jesus entered the world to do, and he entered chaos because our lives are like that cave that I just described. Our sin just creates all kinds of just stuff and junk and muck and mire. And Jesus comes as the true light, like John told us at the beginning of this book, and he just breaks through all of that. And where there is chaos, he brings peace. This was what John the Baptist came to reveal, what he came to bear witness to. And when Jesus was baptized, we're told here, the Spirit of God descends on him. And we get this, really, in this moment, we get this astonishing kind of visual of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rejoicing together as the dove descends on Jesus, as the voice of the Father comes down and says, this is my beloved Son of whom I am well pleased. Peace had finally come in the person of Jesus Christ. We're just a little early for all the Christmas stuff here talking about this. The dove was symbolic of this peace. Remember the story of Noah, remember? Remember how the dove was sent out and it was an indicator that the waters had calmed, that God's wrath had been satisfied for the sin of the world? Well, John is saying, I am an eyewitness 
to this. And look at what Jesus says about John's testimonies. We turn to chapter 5, verse 32. Let me read this. Because I love what Jesus says about John here. Verse 32, he says, There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so you may be saved. Jesus is talking about John the Baptist here. He says he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. And then he says in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So not only does John bear witness about Jesus, but Jesus has this witness born about himself from the works that he did, from the, what happens to those who believe in the person and work of Jesus, what happens in their heart, how it opens up our ability to believe in the truth of Jesus Christ. So how do we do this? How do we bear witness of the gospel today? How do we do that? What are the tangible ways that we do that, given that we're all different people, we have different personalities, we have different walks of life, God has put us in different places, God has given us different areas of, of influence, he surrounded us with different friends, we have different families, how do we bear witness of the gospel given all of those elements? The first thing is that we need to repent. We need to be repenters. John called the people to repent. We don't like not being the Christ. We don't like it. We like to be our own masters. We don't want to decrease like John. And by the way, this is the gospel that your heart preaches to you. Take control of your life. Don't tell, don't let anyone tell you what to do. Follow your heart. You do you. I mean, we just, we're inundated with this. Again, not, not out there. That's not what you gotta worry about. You gotta worry about the things that your heart is speaking to you. Not the big, bad, evil world. The big, bad, evil heart in you that is telling you these things. That's what you got to be so concerned about, right? Take control of your life. Get out there and crush it, kill it. All that sounds great until it breaks down. And I am faced with the stark realization that I am not the Christ. Let's say that together right now. I am not the Christ on three. One, two, three. I am not the Christ. Man, that's freeing. That's freeing. It's hard, too. 
Those areas of your life you think you have a stronghold on actually have a stranglehold on you. We like to think we got it. We like the praise we receive from being self-made men and women. It's compelling until it collapses. I remember this was so many years ago. Uh, we moved into this house. We still live in California. And there was this really horrible metal shed that we inherited with the purchase of the house that was in the backyard. And um, Melissa was like, man, we got to tear down that shed. And I'm like, you got to do that. You got to get that thing down, you know. And so, uh, you know, this, this one day she's, she says, I think I can do it myself, right? And so she's like, I don't, know how, I don't know how you did it, but she's like tearing this thing down. She has, she's like has these hands of steel tearing the steel down. And she told me the story that night. She said, I, I got to the top. She goes, and I'm reaching for the roof to try to like knock that thing out. And I can't even reach the roof. But I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. And it wasn't until, uh, you know, a neighbor came up and kind of saw her struggling and said, um, are, do, you, do you need a little bit of help? And she's like, no, I don't know. But I mean, she said, yes, I need help. And he helped her. He finally helped her tear the thing down. We have all started jobs that turned out to be bigger than we thought they were and realized that we were in over our heads. We need help, but we don't want to ask. This is a metaphor for your life. This really is a metaphor for our lives. Because why? You just said it a minute ago. You're not the Christ. You are in over your head. You are existing in a world with a heart, with a flesh that wants to do more than what God has given you to do in terms of what you think contributes to your spiritual vitality. So we repent. We repent. Repenting to Jesus bears witness to Jesus. Right? So that's our first call is to repent. Our second call is to rejoice. Why should we rejoice? John talked about rejoicing. Why should we rejoice? Because I don't have to work hard for what Jesus already paid the price for. I don't have to work hard for that. I don't have to amount to something because I am already fully loved. I am already fully known. I can rejoice because I can be happy with who God made me to be. And I can rejoice in who I'm becoming because he's not done with me yet. Because I am not the Christ it means I am the person that God is making me and the person who I am becoming because God does all the work. And that's a happy place to be in, right? I was with a friend this week. Uh, he was a, he's a New York Yankees fan. So I, I had to talk to him. My dad, was a, my dad growing up was a hardened Dodgers fan, hated the Yankees. My dad might be alive right now because I had a long conversation with this guy about the Yankees. And, um, but he told me about the, uh, he told me about Aaron Judge. I don't follow MLB. Um, but he showed me the clip of Aaron hitting his 61st home run, right? Tied Roger Maris's record. Man, it's a great thing that I don't have to be Aaron Judge. God did not make me to be Aaron Judge. I am not the Aaron Judge, right? Praise God. 
You know what else? Aaron Judge doesn't have to be Aaron Judge. He can rejoice if he doesn't hit another home run. He can rejoice if he does. Because why? Because you don't carry MLB home run records into glory with you. So whatever happens to him with that whole record, it doesn't have to define him. It doesn't have to be the thing that he identifies with. That weight can be off his shoulders because of Jesus Christ. Rejoicing in Jesus bears witness to Jesus pulling that weight to be something that we can't be right off our shoulders. So we repent, we rejoice, and finally we, we rest. That's how we bear witness of the gospel. We rest in Jesus. John seemed like a guy that was resting in the work of Jesus Christ. What do we need to rest from? What is it that you need to rest from today? What is it that I need to rest from today? Because there's stuff. Well, I need to rest from my need to control. You need to rest from your need to carry around with you this high level of control about all the different scenarios and the situations of your life. You need to rest from your tendency to worry about everything. That's my tendency too. You need to rest from the habit you have of placing so much importance on relationships until they can't do anything but become codependent or collapse on themselves. You need to rest from the devastation that your kids don't know Jesus and that you didn't do enough. You need to rest from your regret about decisions you've made when you should have known better. Now, that's a hard one for me. You look in the mirror and you say, I am not the Christ. Let's say it together again. I am not the Christ. I love what John Piper said about this. It makes me emotional when I read this, but he said, um, occasionally weep deeply over the life that you hoped would be. Grieve the losses, feel the pain. Then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life he's given you. That's called rest. That's so hard to do. It's really going to be a lifelong practice for us to repent, to rejoice, and to rest as a way that we bear witness to the kindness of Jesus Christ, the kindness of Jesus Christ that John the Baptist paved the way for so that we might have a savior, so that we might be a people who bear witness to the love and the goodness of Jesus Christ. And so if you are somebody who has put your trust, your weak trust, your thimble full of faith in Jesus Christ, praise God. Because he has you and you can continue to be a person who repents and rejoices and rests, knowing that this is what bears witness to everything that John told us that Jesus is. And now that we have the Holy Spirit inside of our hearts, bears witness to ourselves 
that that is true. And it is true. And you guys are all witnesses of that. You guys are all testimonies of that. This church is a witness to the goodness and glory of God through Jesus Christ. And oh man, I mean, we're screwing it up every day. But such is the grace of Jesus that he brings us back every single time. And in that bringing back, that is a witness of his grace in our lives. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for John the Baptist's testimony to us. It helps us, helps us understand more about the Jesus who saves and the Jesus we serve and the Jesus who we are not. So Lord, I hope that you would use this, use these words, they're your words. Lord, use these words to graciously change and transform us. This burden that we feel of being the Christ, Lord, remove that burden from us. Lord, when we feel ourselves tilting those directions, bending towards thinking that we have to be all and accomplish all, Lord, would you pull us back from that? Would you remind us that because of Jesus, everything has been paid in full, everything has been accomplished? Lord, would you help us rest in that? Would you help us rejoice in that? And Lord, draw us to repentance when we find ourselves living as if that's not true. Lord, thank you for stepping in to the muck and the mire and the chaos of our world and bringing us peace with God. Pray that we're grateful today for it. In Jesus' name, amen.